I really want it to be 80s newscaster music. This show is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution. Does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Neither do we. We are not affiliated with Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly of the person who gave them. Please take what you like and leave the rest. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. And this is Crosstalk. Oh my God, you're so loud in my ear. I'm turning it down a smidge. Um, Claire. Sorry. Let's get current. Okay. Because I always mess that up. Um, tell me Why don't you going. get current? You go first. <laughs> you go um, first today. Well, I just got out of a, um, I just took a nap and that before <laughs> this, and um, I'm having one of those days where I just think, why can't all the things work and why don't people do their work? Um, and my partner was like, I can roast you a chicken. And I was like, I don't want to be in the solutions. I want to be in the problem and complain about this burrito that won't come. Um, and he was like, well, it's none of my business. And he went to yoga and I was like, I have trained you well. Um, good for him. I know. Good for him. I'm like, bless that man. Well, I think he recognizes. And, you know, I was just like, I I really should just say, and at this point basically do, I don't want a solution right now. I want to be in the problem. (laughs) But I'm fine now. And you know why? Because my new hiking socks just arrived and they're very comfortable. (laughs) I will show them. They're Bombas. And I didn't know Bombas made hiking socks. And I just put them on and it's like heaven. So I know that doesn't sound like program, but I am aware when I'm being crabby, I can vocalize that, take care of myself, and then I can be grateful when my socks arrive. And really, at the end of the day, that's all we're trying to do here is just be grateful. So that's kind of my program. I mean, I got the same stuff that uh, has been going on at work. <laughs> it's just I don't know anything about that. Well, I've just been talking about it on every pod, <laughs> and the listeners must be beyond bored. Um, yeah, no, just uh, you know what I've been doing actually is detachment, and I mean, I don't mean that in my clever segue. <laughs> Because that is our topic for today. But I actually have. That is what I'm being asked to learn. And it's it's actually easier than I thought. But it's uh, I have to bring God in all the time and just try not to help control the situation and detach from the well, outcome. keep it simple, Corey. I know. Keep it simple. But it's hard when, you know, I'm, I'm starting a company and it feels like if you don't do something, it won't come to life. So mm-hmm. I think I'm being asked to take it into all my affairs which I feel like I read somewhere. Um, so that's what I'm doing. What are you up to? That was really good. I mean, you still had like four, three, two. All right. Claire, that's about my recovery minutes. is so good. Uh, I don't need the full three minutes. Oh, you you yield your time. I yield you my did, time to those with more problems. Like, I see. I see. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, <laughs> I've done that before. Um, I know. Where do you think I learned it from? <laughs> I also like to take four minutes sometimes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And to wrap up, <laughs> three minutes later. But seriously, I will say, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say oh, it. Wow. She's saying I'm going to say it. saying it. I'm saying it. I love everybody in a very special way, the same way they already love me. Don't go to five minutes or six minutes, people. 
Don't do it. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that in a meeting? Don't do it. Just don't. Go to another meeting. Share again. Call, call your sponsor. Talk to a fellow. What's up with that? It's all right. Also, it's fine. But I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> well, that was a minute well spent. What else you got? <laughs> I've been griping on that for years. <laughs> Six fucking years. No. Um, you know, it's just fine. Sometimes then I just, that's when I just go on my phone. Even there. Sounds like you could use really some care. detachment from those people. Uh, yeah, I do. I just, I just go, you know, like, I go, oh, it's time for me to go to the bathroom. This is a great bathroom break time. Um now I can just like do anything I want because I'm at home when I'm on those, you know? So it's like, oh, I'll just mute this for right now. I like make dinner. Anyways, wow. Corey, I'm blaming this on you that I have not done any current getting, but I will be getting of the current right now. That's fine. Um, I'm t- I've been taught so much. I'm building a company. It's smaller than yours, but, um, but it's still a company. It's, it's a corp. It's got it's corped up. It's got legal stuff and <laughs> shareholders and shit. And uh, it's fucking exhausting. And um, you know, just doing a lot, doing a lot, looking at engagement rings. I've been looking at them for a while. I don't know if I've mentioned that yet on here, but it's just like that, okay. And then like going to see the, my parents, like because you know my dad's fucking getting older. He's an active alcoholic. Like going to see him in August. Like going to Disneyland for my birthday. Like going to da da da. I get to do all this stuff. The life is huge. I'm also really tired lately. It's like uh, my partner's parents are moving. We got to like find out how to figure out how to get this piano. That's like a family piano in our garage is going to live in the garage forever. I mean, like, can, can we get it upstairs? I don't know. Like, I don't think it's going to fit around the corner when you get to the top of the steps, you know? So I'm just like, put it in our garage. It's fine. It's just like, okay, cool. Take a bath, you know, like whatever. These are the things that are happening in my life. Put on some sweatpants, uh, you know, watch a good show. Hacks is really great on HBO Max. If you want to check out a good <laughs> comedy show, it's really punchy. Very, very tight writing. Fantastic. Leaves you wanting the next episode when the, that one's over. Um, yeah, I bought a corduroy hat over the weekend. And... Uh, you know, I, I, that's, that's, I'm pretty happy and tired. Yeah. Fair I'm not enough. tired of being happy yet. That's cool. Oh, so. I like that slogan. Ooh. I'm happy and tired, but not. <laughs> that's a new slogan. <laughs> but but uh, can we take the rest of the pod to discuss w- what's going to happen with that piano? Cause that was riveting. <laughs> can you please cut, cut to it sliding it? down down the stairs <laughs> in a like nineties rom com? Oh it flies God. over the the, bal- the short balcony, busts out, and lands on the love interest's car. You know, and that's the meet cute right there. Would you have to? Would you say that you have to detach from the outcome of where that piano is going to be? I get attached from all these things. I what if I it. get in the bath and it's too hot, you know? And then I'm like, fuck, I wanted to relax, but it's so hot in here. You know, it's like, okay, just get out of the bath for a little bit. It's just like the deta- – I think the detachment and expectation are, are really uh, – or, or letting go of expectations. They're really good friends, you know? Well, Claire, you're in luck because today we're going to talk about detachment. <laughs> 
Also, did I just not go over like three minutes for Oh, my- yeah, it's so long. I mean, Joe, if you have any luck editing that into something usable, let us know. But we um, we have a guest today who we both know very well, which we keep doing lately, yes. which I'm very happy about. Um, I'm into it. And she's here to talk to us maybe a little bit about detachment, and her name is Julia. How are you, Julia? <laughs> I'm I'm doing well. Yeah, happy to be here. Welcome to the pod. Happy to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for asking. Of course, of course. Well, um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. And uh, Miss Mr. Claire here will be your timer. This is true. Do you? How would you like your time, Julia? Uh, hmm. For for ten, right? Yeah. Um, perhaps uh, eight and two would be great you got it cool and whenever you're ready yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right i know this is so it's strange it's lovely um okay i'll begin um hi i'm julia um i'm happy to be here it is strange but it is lovely and I guess I just want to echo what I heard someone else say on the pod, which is that I speak for myself, take what you like, leave the rest. Um, and yeah, thinking about detachment, um, I guess to <clears throat> qualify a little bit to get give some background on me um, and where I'm coming from. <clears throat> I grew up in a family uh, where that was affected by the disease of alcoholism. Um, I grew up with two moms, both of whom were Al-Anons, <clears throat> excuse me, in their own ways. Uh, one of my moms is sober now, although she does not self-identify as an alcoholic. And there was not a lot of active drinking in my home until <clears throat> I was a teenager. Um, and when I was a teenager, one of my moms got sick uh, as she was dying, stuff with my younger sister began to ramp up in terms of her using drugs, drinking, and self-harming in some serious ways. Um, That sort of threw uh, my family into a very Al-Anon dynamic where my surviving mom really wanted to keep my sister safe and to change her behavior. And I played an in-between role often between the two of them, my sister, me sort of wanting to save my sister from herself and save my sister from my mom. Um, I came into Al-Anon, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm (coughs) clearing my throat so much for a podcast. Um, I came into Al-Anon around a time when I think it was a suicide attempt of my sister's that brought me in where she had ended up in the hospital up in the Bay area. And I was down in LA and I really, I really didn't want to deal with it. I really didn't want to go see her. And, but I also felt incredibly stressed about it. And like my life was really unmanageable. Um, Also around the time I ended up in the room. So I was sort of like, you know, all this stuff is happening with my sister. It's so stressful. It's so terrible. And also maybe my boyfriend's drinking bothers me. Maybe, I don't know. And, um, at that point I was a few years into a serious relationship with, with someone who was drinking then, whose drinking and cocaine use then bothered me. Um, that, that ended up being a seven year relationship where he was 
most of the time actively using, but then there were several years also where he was trying in some form to be some type of dry. Um, and those, those two relationships of mine with my sister and with my partner, who's now, yeah, my, my ex-boyfriend, I have had to use detachment a lot. And the, th- the thing that I've really thought about is like that what Elanon has helped me do is, is move from like, mm, move from me versus the idea of a person to me versus what's right in front of me and what can I do? What's my part? What can I do? Because I think I was often grappling with the idea of a sister, the idea of the sister that I wanted to be, the idea of what a partner should be, the idea of what a boyfriend should be, the idea of what family should be. And all of my sort of frantic actions were about that, not about what was actually in front of me. Um, And it didn't get me, you know, the fantasy version to always be responding to the fantasy version. Um, You know, like I think about really a really practical thing that I was able to do in my relationship with my ex-boyfriend years into Al-Anon that I could not have foreseen me being able to do before was like that he had been dry for several months and he was like, you know, like cocaine's my real problem. Like I, but I think I'm going to start, I think I'm going to try drinking here and there again. Like, it'll be fun. And I was like, okay, (laughs) okay. Don't love that, but okay. And I made a really clear choice that like my boundary at that point was I don't want to be around you when you're drinking. And I was able to do that in a real way, um, meaning it. You know, I think in the past, if I said that that's what it was, what that actually meant was like, are you drinking that beer? Like, are you, uh, are you going to go out tonight? Like, are you, you know, it was like, I, I am doing the boundary at you because I haven't accepted that you're where you're at and I want to put you into a different place. And by the time that he was saying that he wanted to just, you know, try drinking again. And I was like, okay, this is where you're at. I really meant it so that if we were talking about plans for a weekend or something and he was like, Oh, my friend's having this party or doing this thing. I was like, okay, cool. I'll see you on Sunday. And I really meant it. And it was crazy to mean it. And to live a version of my life where um, I had like removed myself from from that um, situation, um, you know, and and yeah, it took me a long, long time. You know, I can't judge myself for how long it took me because it's God's time, not my time. But um, but it took me a while to get there. Um, and yeah, I think I'm using detachment even now. Um, as I've spoken to one of our pod hosts about in some (laughs) outreach, um, my ex-boyfriend is in a really different emotional place, you know, regarding our breakup. Um, and then I am, and he's continued to reach out, uh, but I don't want to be in contact and I'm just not responding. And that's really uncomfortable for me. Um, but I'm starting to feel less, guilt about it because I truly am detaching more and more from the idea that there's anything perfect that I could say that would make him into the type of person that didn't need to be detached from in this way. Um, And when I do that, 
I still have my anger, of course, that I'm still processing and all of that, but I feel less, I feel so much less anger, so much less resentment because I don't feel like I'm showing up to a dynamic in which I'm going to try to make him something else. And then he disappoints me or he hurts me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really like letting him have the dignity of his own experience and then making a choice about what I am willing or not willing to show up for. And that's really different for me and feels really fortifying and has been really self-esteem building for me. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then with my sister, I, I think the the biggest thing that's helped me with my sister um, has been um, getting out of the triangulation dynamic that uh, had had given me a sense of power that I didn't really have, and to move into having individual relationships with my mom and my sister. Um, yeah, and I think the way that I've done that is by setting setting boundaries, making different choices, doing contrary actions, like in a small, subtle way over many years. Um, That's eight. Thank you so much, Claire. Um, One thing that was really hard was like, uh, there was a culture in my family of like, you know, because my, my grew up with two moms, one of my mom's died when I was 19. And then in that aftermath, my surviving mom really, uh, relied on me to be a person that she could talk to about my sister and talk to me about the ways that our family was coping or not coping or what needed to happen and how it was so sad and this whole story and this whole drama every time something would shift with my sister. And after a certain point, I guess this was a few years ago, hard to pin down the timeline, but I basically set a boundary with my mom where I was like, I, I don't want you to talk to me about my sister. And that was really painful. And she would bring it up periodically, you know, to say that that hurt her feelings and she did not like that. Um, But it was really useful for me. Um, And it really helped our relationship, I think, because, you know, she has sort of opinions and sadness about my sister that's really hard for me to hear. And I also had was really mourning just having a mom that I had a relationship with a daughter to a mom, not a daughter to something else. Um, and so that's something that Al-Anon helped me do. And again, really mean it, you know, because that the messy, <clears throat> messy pre-program, what I thought was intimacy is, is really uh, tantalizing sometimes, even though it doesn't feel good, it's really familiar and it's, and it's, and it's, sometimes more uncomfortable to sit with myself because that requires a lot of sitting with myself, not going to the party, not um, talking to my mom about my sister. It's like, there's more silence. There's more me. There's more sitting in what is actually there, not in what I wish was. Um, But I'm really grateful to have that experience. So grateful, so grateful to have that experience. That's your time. There we go. I, I am so grateful to Detachment. Thank you guys for hearing me. Oh, man. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Another Cochrane Avenue alum. Um, <laughs> That's true. I mean, we are just wow. racking up the Cochrane Avenue Baptist Church alumni <laughs> here, um, which is actually where I met Claire as well. So. 
Oh my god! Yeah, oh, that's so sweet. That's right. Met all of you around this. Oh, thing. I remember when we met you. Your Corey's so much taller than me. I am really short anyway, but and um, he just kind of like come over and was like, "Hey, I'm Corey." <laughs> exactly what I was like a disaffected teenager. Um, I was like, uh, you want to like uh, get coffee? <laughs> That is the worst impression of me or anyone ever. So uh, we'll leave that there. But um, beautiful share, as always, as I knew it would be. And obviously, you know, I've witnessed a lot of your recovery over the years. So I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Um, I I think that it seems like the dynamic with your sister is kind of the first. Is that the first, would you consider, kind of Alanonic relationship in your life? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, some sometimes I mean now having been in program for a minute, I think about like having relationships to my moms as them being Alanons in some way too. I mean, that's mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's been tricky, but but I think yeah, the most the the first and most dramatic was definitely my my sister. Yeah. Yeah. And um what was the moment, I guess, where you were were you always aware that your sister was uh, I, I don't know if, she's, if you consider her an addict, an alcoholic or what, but were you always aware that that was part of the dynamic? What was that moment mm-hmm. when it sort of dawned on you like, oh, my sister is not my sister. She's also, or she is, but she's also this other mm-hmm. thing. Right. This other thing. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah. She identifies as an addict. She's mm-hmm. a recovering, an addict in recovery now, which is so awesome. All, you know, to her credit. Um Hmm. Yeah, I think it was a lot of like, she's behaving in these crazy ways. Like, who could know why she'd do those things until, <laughs> uh, <laughs> until <laughs> that's really what it was, you know, that's really how it felt, um, how it was talked about. Probably until she was maybe 16 or 17. Um, my mom sent her to like a wilderness therapy camp in the desert and to one of those kind of terrible therapeutic boarding schools Mm. and it was during it was probably yeah it was you know it was like there was a lot of talk about her and drugs and alcohol when she was there and then on a visit home from the boarding school when I was also in Berkeley staying at the house there was a traumatic thing where I woke up in the middle of the night and she had um she had taken like some acid that she bought at People's Park and uh had this like kind of psychosis experience um and I think that was a real moment for me to like look at my own denial because I had said goodnight to her the night before and in that moment I walked into her room because she was making all this noise and she's acting in these crazy ways and I remember saying to my mom like I think I think she could be sleepwalking (laughs) and my mom was like (laughs) she's not sleepwalking like and I was like but I said goodnight to her and I think I really believed that there was this like, you know, that there was this, uh, I don't know that I could reach and sort of hold. And what I didn't see was, was my responsibility to have seen and therefore have changed. Mm. Um, so I think it was that, that really made me think like, no, she's, she's, she's an addict. This is a disease. And I, I have to think about it in this other way. It's not just her behaving badly. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think I think most people, even though we don't always consider alcoholism a disease right away, maybe some people, I think when people are acting that way, we think of them as 
you know, ill in some way or disturbed in some way or whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't need to put a word to it. And I think what's right. interesting about detachment is the opposite of detachment. I think that the traditional, natural, almost human reaction is to go help, aid, save, abed, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and in this particular case, I mean, at least for me, I don't want to speak for anyone else's experience, the fact that that's not going to work here. And, and we learn later that that doesn't work in so many other settings, but it feels sort of cold and human, all those other things. I mean, our natural human instinct is to go and do something about these things is kind of what I'm trying to get at. So mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me, the moments which we realize that that, and then start the process of, I mean, I'll use the word enabling for myself. Um, and I'm wondering like, is that what your journey was like <laughs> stepping mm. in and trying to save and enable once you found out all of this? Right. Once I found that out, um, yeah, I mean, my sister, I think that was definitely my experience with my with my ex-boyfriend. My mm. sister maybe was a little more, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't living at home um, at that time, right? So I would like kind of pop in, pop out to her and my mom's dynamic. And I would, I would get a lot of phone calls where I would be, yeah, I guess in that way, I was really trying, I, w- I did get, I did, I did try to enable and save. It was a lot of like, if I just communicate what my sister is feeling to my mom, if I just communicate what my sister's, what my mom's intention is to my sister, like then I can, they can both be okay. And I'll have like the family that I'm supposed to have. I think mm-hmm. that's the way that I, yeah, that's, def- that's definitely the way that I was involved from, from afar. Even when I didn't live there, I was like, I could totally do this. I got it. <laughs> Call me. Um, yeah. yeah and then, I mean, mm-hmm. do, and what's your like, I always want to, I always wonder, and I've heard some of your stories, and but like, what is your most like that moment, that Al-Anon story that there's always, like I was watching this movie with Timothy Chalamet, you know, and there's this moment, this really poignant moment where the mom or the stepmom is chasing him in a car. She realizes she's chasing mm-hmm. him down because he just showed up and ran away. And she, re- she's a moment, you can see it in her face where she realizes what she's doing and she has to stop mm-hmm. and she has to pull over and give up. And I always wonder like, what are, you know, people's stories where they really were I mean, what's the bottom of the opposite of detachment, right? What's the moment where you're, where one is just like, I can't, this is so, I'm so, I'm acting so crazy trying to help this person. Right. I think, well, I guess understanding, understanding how unmanageable it was for me emotionally, there's a clear moment that comes to mind. My, my sister had had gone, she was going to, um, college at Cal State Long Beach for a second. And, uh, she kind of bottomed out pretty quickly and there was a lot of family conversation about it. And, um, I can't remember how it happened, but I was asked or I volunteered to like go clean her room up. Um, so that like, she didn't get charged uh, when she was leaving. Um, and so I, and I was so, you know, and I, it was this thing where I was like, I am going to do this for her and I have to do this for her. Um, but I felt really resentful and sad. And I was, as I was going down there, um, I took my, I think I took my ex-boyfriend at that time, but I didn't let him inside. I just went in by myself. And it was like a room that would look like an alcoholics room. You know, there were like bottles everywhere and, uh, everything in sort of disarray. And, you know, I like spill like a warm 40 on myself. <laughs> and, 
And there was like a, <laughs> she had, she had a job for a minute at a Starbucks and there was like a Starbucks apron in the trash. It was like also just kind of, uh, uh, it was like too obvious almost the, the imagery of it or something. Um, and I was so sad and I was like, I, I am too, I am too deep in how sad this is. You know, it's like, I'm too wrapped up in what, what I could do to make her not what she is right now. Um, yeah, I think, I think that was, I would definitely acted, I think, crazier with my ex-boyfriend than I acted with my sister. But there, that was a moment emotionally where I remember feeling like, why am I so resentful for something that I signed up to do? Um, mm you know, playing a role that makes me feel like I'm connected to the thing, but I don't actually like the feeling of being connected to the thing. Mm. That's so interesting. I love the description of the, um, also I feel like I always say that's so interesting, really just because I'm like (laughs) in such an introspective moment of like watching the like story of my life. life listening right you know it's like Mm. you're telling that story and I'm like oh yeah yeah like all these memories of like things that really check out from my perspective in my story it's like yeah 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 I had that experience yeah yeah yeah. totally relate 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 and like I guess I'm I'm still like to date um marveled by how it's always the same it is not any different <laughs> yeah it's the same we're not unique every yeah. time <laughs> no. no we're so not unique it's so lovely like thank god you know um because we get to be in such a community i think that's the the joy of the um of relating of us all like that um knowing each other in a, in a special way and and all that um Gosh, yeah. Wow, Julia, I just really relate to all of that. And you said something really interesting a little while, uh, a, a little bit ago. You said, um, it'll come back to me. Uh, you said you were trying to like have the, fa- have the family you were supposed to have. You know, if you just did all these things, you would have the family you were supposed to have. That's such an interesting thing. I think that that really keeps that kept me in denial for mm-hmm. uh, as long as I was in it. And I wasn't usually in it with my family because my dad was like very much clearly an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> but but also like, I mean, what does that even mean, right? Because like you said, like it's like here's all the stuff, but it's like, oh, no, like they just, you know, oh, dad's just being dad, you know, <laughs> he's just he just gets really emotional when he hears like oldies songs. It's fine. Um, it's all summed up by the sentence. Oh, you know, your father. <laughs> you know, your father. Don't oh, make well, you your know dad your mad. Don't make your dad mad. Don't do it. Don't make your dad mad. OK. Um yeah, I think I I just like so if I detach, right? Then like I'm letting go of like this illusion of control that I like don't have anyway. But mm-hmm. if I were to not participate, then what if I really don't 
like that that yeah. that possibility to have that family that's like the family that I'm so, that's supposed to be the thing that brings me happiness or like I'm not embarrassed by or you know I can be it like yeah this is this is my family like at my recital or like whatever the fucking thing is uh it's just gone then like how tragic how painful mm-hmm. I think that for me like I really went through that in program and recovery of being of like and I had like a second bottom for me like this at the end of my second year where I was just like Mm -hmm. I think more depressed than I'd ever been and it was just like oh right it's all fucking gone like I get Mm -hmm. to like start the fuck over because everything that I made up that could maybe be a certain way with my controlling which I think is really the opposite of detachment is control for me or you know, other things for sure, but like it all fits in that control bin. And it's just like, if I don't have control over it, then it's like, then what? Who's yeah, going like to do the, it for me? The, the mm-hmm. enabling or whatever we want to call it keeps the thing alive. Like yeah. there's still a relationship as long as we're yeah. still doing that. And then I think what what's beautiful is that you learn that you can have other kinds of relationships with detachment. You can still have pretty fucking great relationships, if not better. I mean, arguably better relationships. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but it doesn't gone, seem yeah. like that at the time. It just seems like they'll be gone. Like the person, right? And right. and often they don't. The other person can't recognize a new kind of relationship, right? They only know one relationship too. And if they're not in recovery, you know. So, yeah. I mean, how did that put it play out with your? your ex-boyfriend in that way, maybe that detachment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It feels also also relevant. Um, because I relate to, yeah, so much of what Claire just said. The yeah. Um I mean, something that was really tricky about leaving the relationship with my ex-boyfriend was well, I guess I'll I'll go back further in terms of detaching. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I both my sister and my and my ex-boyfriend shared uh these sort of high functioning sober periods where everything looked like pretty good mm-hmm. and everyone around them, I think really joined in the sober period, um, including mm-hmm. myself, you know, like, Oh, this is looking really good. <laughs> and uh, so I think that, you know, I hadn't actually accepted my sister's behavior. I hadn't actually accepted the fact that, you know, my ex-boyfriend was actively struggling with drug addiction uh, I, I just, I was just like holding my breath. I like kept getting to these moments where I was like, I don't need to accept it anymore. Like I wanted the behavior to stop and not stopped. Um, and I think I did feel like on the other side of that was going to be just a huge loss. Um, and my ex-boyfriend has a really wonderful family who was really wonderful to me. And I met, mm him at a time when things were really tumultuous with with my sister right after my other mom had died. And so I think just like the idea that he could be my family and that they could be my family was like really wrapped Mm -hmm. up in me staying in that denial because it felt like if I didn't find a way back in, then I would never have love again. I would never have family again. I would just, it would all go away. Um, which is something that I hear shared in Al-Anon, which is a relief, right? That idea that like, you have one chance at love, you have one chance at connection, and then, <laughs> then it'll be gone to you that's forever. It. You can never. <laughs> that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's it. Um, well, and the, if I, you yeah. leave someone, then you don't get anything that you found when you were with them. I stayed right. in relationships. Li- 
literally my relationship before the one I'm in now, which I think I'm going to be in for a long time, um, is <laughs> the one before like a long time. But the one before that, um, I literally like delayed leaving this person mm. because I was like, fuck, like they ha- I really enjoy spending time with his friends. Like mm. I really enjoy like when we all go out, like he has such a great community of people. Like I mm. love like how he's such a big part of the queer community. And like, I love that I get to be a part of that community. And like, you know, the fucking queer community is alive and well. I can go join it with, I don't need a sh- fucking chaperone. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, and I loved his mother was, you know, so much. And, like, there was a lot of Alan on there, though. Like, a lot of mm-hmm. Alan on there. She was really sick and and uh, chronically, like, for, for a long time since before I ever knew them. And mm. it was just, like – but also she's so generous. So it was, like, yeah, I want to go and make this person dinner, you know, and, like, swim in the pool afterwards, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't have a pool, you know? Like, it was, like, that's great. What a trade. <laughs> and it's, like <laughs> – but also, like, uh, probably enabling. A lot of that was was enabling, you know. What, like, like, what a bigger life it is. Like, my partner today and I are like, great. We're only going to buy a house with a pool. We're only going to buy a house with a pool. So, like, what? I was going to stay with this other guy to swim in his parents' pool my whole life? <laughs> like, my, you know, like, because this woman's so nice. It's like. I mean, the woman who's probably going to... But if you think that's your only road to a pool? That's right. Yeah. You think it's the only option. It's the only... Which I think alcoholism does. Alcoholism mm-hmm. tells the lie, I think, that you only get this. Like you were saying, Julia. Like, you, not just you only get one shot. Mm-hmm. This narrow path is the only mm-hmm. path you get to go down. There are not any other options. If you try and go and do these other options, you're going to fail. People hate you, blah, blah, blah. So, like, don't do that. Right. Where do you think that comes right. from? Both I just them. said it comes from alcoholism. Well, I know, no. but why? <laughs> Break it down for me. <laughs> I think I think it's got to be that, like, the... Well, I don't know. I think in my experience, it's it's tied to the idea that if I fix if I fix one thing, which is the, the other person's sobriety, then it I will have the life that I want. So it's sort of hyper fixated in this way, maybe where it's like it's a really simple equation. Like I get that one piece, and then I get the thing that I want. So I can't I can't look away from it. I like can't mm. detach. Maybe it's like the inability to drop the thing or something. Obsession. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like another, mm-hmm. another form of that obsession. Cause there, there's a lot of letting go that needs to happen uh, in terms of even getting to see that you could have a pool with a different partner one day, you know, like you have <laughs> yeah. to drop the idea of the current pool in order to get to that future pool. <laughs> I mean, you do, it's not, you're not wrong, <laughs> but it's interesting. Like in my, in my experience, that was, that was with, people right that's my experience with people mm-hmm. whereas I totally thought I could quit jobs or you know mm-hmm. do certain things I mean maybe moving was one that I had struggled with from hearth and home but you know mm-hmm. I could build I could walk away from big opportunities but I couldn't leave people totally I can always get work I mean literally I'm an excellent hire do I always allow myself <laughs> have I also been an under earner oh yeah <laughs> 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 but I hear I really hear that, Corey. Yeah. Interesting. 
I so think places when were a thing for me too, not just people. Yeah, places you know, and people. Go. Like staying in an apartment um, or staying mm-hmm. somewhere, being afraid to leave a place because it's like, but this is so good. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it wasn't, um, but like it couldn't be bigger. It's like program tells me every day. I like that's wow. That's the thing. Like I'm like it can always be fucking bigger. Like God's got bigger plans. Like I can go for those bigger plans because like they're there. The concept of that is like you tried and brought that to me like six years ago. I just would have been like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> if you lose it, you don't use right. it, you lose it. Or like you probably whatever, live you know, under a like... bridge. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Julia, when you when you left this relationship, you had a lot more program under your belt. So did you feel a strong sense? Yes, this will be painful, but I know there's more. Or was it still mm. the leap of faith? Like there's a part of me that still believes. I mean, I know when I left my relationship, there's still a strong part of me with lots of programs. I was like, no, that'll be it. Like I'm fucked forever. Like, but I have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. It was so compelling. I wonder how much you were able to have that kind of clarity, awareness, and of of these options as you were making that choice, or was it still as painful as you would have expected? Right, right. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think. Well, yeah, I think that I prayed for for a long time because honestly, for a long time, I felt I felt sort of ambivalent of making that big change, right? Like I was floating around my head um, and something that I thought maybe I should do, but I felt ambivalent and I felt a lot of fear and I really loved this person, um, which is something that I have to grapple with now, like that I was capable of loving someone who's really sick um, and just what that means. But um, but but I would pray. The thing that I would always pray for was clarity. And I prayed for clarity for probably like a year up until the moment where sort of it became clear uh, and it did feel like a higher power thing, like something from the past got brought up from a person and I, uh, a person that I know about uh, my ex-boyfriend and I brought it up to my ex-boyfriend knowing that he wasn't really capable of having the conversation that I wanted him to have and he wasn't. And I'm sure I could have gone about that in slightly less, I don't know, dramatic ways. But after that, I took about a month and then I asked, ended up asking for a, a trial separation, which is partially the thing that I could mean. You know, I felt like I have to say mm. what I mean and I know that I could mean something temporary for sure, mm. um, which made it, I think, more bearable. And the other reason that I did it that way is because uh, my ex-boyfriend is someone who doesn't respect boundaries. And after taking suggestions from people who had been in the program a long time, like a trial thing leading up to an actual thing felt like the least dramatic way mm. to, to break up. And I, I keep trying to make choices to have less dramatic, less back and forth, less, you know, in the tumults. Cause that really is what our relationship was like. Um, and so it was really sad. The separation period was really sad. But then I would have all this relief and I would have all this like buoyancy and and lack of dread and moving through my life. And I I think I think I was I was mixed. There was one part of me that was like, I what I know is that I'm willing to have a different experience. I don't totally believe that it's there, but I'm super willing. Mm -hmm. I'm super willing. And then the other part of me was like, I think I'm lovable. Like, I think I'm lovable more than I thought <laughs> in the past. I still don't mm-hmm. totally, I still don't totally mm-hmm. feel it all the way down to my little roots, but I think, I think I am. Um, 
And so, yeah, that, that, those two things, the willingness of a different experience and this belief that I was lovable in a different way than I had embodied that in the past, I think, and, and doing things that I knew that I could mean. And I meant the trial separation. Mm-hmm. I stayed out of contact for those two months. And then we broke up over the phone, which is something that in the past would have sent, seemed like super cruel and cold to me, but I think it would have been really bad and unsafe in person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, we did it over the phone and it was terrible, but I was able to say what I meant and not say it meanly. And mm. I only, I've responded to one of, I responded to one of his texts that day after we broke up. And then I haven't, I haven't talked to him since then. Oh. Um, and it is getting yeah easier and easier, but it's a lot of detachment. Cause I think the other fear about leaving that I had that was really big was that if I left that, that he would relapse or he would die, honestly, you know, cause he mm. had mm-hmm. that, you know, some self, harm stuff too. A lot of parallels between him and my sister in that way. And, uh, I really had to detach like fellows talking to me about things they would do in their head about like, I picture my, you know, their higher power across the street. And I just like hand my ex-boyfriend to that person, to that Mm -hmm. entity. Like Mm -hmm. I truly, I like watch their higher power take them. Mm -hmm. Those, those were things that really helped my brain when I was feeling like, Oh God, if I don't, if I don't shepherd him through this, then, you know, like, cause my brain will go to the place where I actually do stay involved and, and dramatic in this way that is not helpful for me. And I truly don't believe helpful for the other person either. That's, that's so a beautiful. long answer, but no, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you sound like someone who really detached with love. That's what I hear. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's so hard. Yeah takes us so yeah. much recovery to do that and practice and progress and awareness being you know without self-awareness i think and self-love it's like this program is a program of self-love and self-acceptance is what i'm taught through my sponsorship my sponsor mm-hmm. that sponsorship yeah and um I think that's really the core of it, Corey, when you had asked earlier, like, where does it come from that you think that this is acceptable behavior or this is okay, this works for you? And really, at the end of the day, for me, everything comes down to my self-worth. Anything that I am dissatisfied with in my life that I uh, feel like I would like to be different because it doesn't bring me joy, that doesn't bring me happiness. Um, or I'm not learning from it is directly connected to my self-worth mm-hmm. or lack thereof. Right. And mm-hmm. that comes from alcoholism. Like literally that's a, it's, that's the disease of, of which I believe I suffer from the disease of alcoholism as an Al-Anon. I, I still believe that like mm-hmm. I, to me, even though I don't have the compulsion to drink, I don't feel that, um, I have the compulsion to pick up a think. You have compulsion. compulsion. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so much compulsion. Yeah. So That's much. Is the Al-Anon, right? That's it's the same thing. We're we're all rooted in compulsion. The same, yeah. And you know the shame that comes from, I think, alcoholism in that when you're incapable of controlling the things that you do because your mental abilities are altered by a substance 
right? Like you do shit that you fucking wish you hadn't done mm-hmm. to try, which you were doing to try and make yourself feel better for for something mm-hmm. that you wish you had. <laughs> Which was which was different, right? And on and on, and then and and I think as an an Al Anon, it's like I learned to that, and then I learned to shame myself. Like I learned mm. to be in shame of who I was. That nothing was ever going to be good enough for mm. me. It's not even that it's not good enough for other people. Like literally, it's all it all comes back to me at the end of the day. Anyway, like the message that I received through. It's so tricky because, like, I hear people share, you know, that they were told that they were – well, I was told that I was a piece of shit too. But not every day, you know. Like, I was told – Just on Friday. Just on Friday. At 3 o'clock. I wish it was that consistent. At least then – Then you could plan <laughs> would, for it. You would the plan for it. But uh, Jesus Christ. Why are you at the movies, Claire? Oh, it's piece of shit day. I, uh, I just, I'm I staying said, out of the house. I'm told. I realized that – Every day at three. Um, but I was also like really adored and loved and like like truly mm-hmm. adored wildly um, and still feel wildly adored by my family, parents, both of my parents, my siblings, my niece mm-hmm. and people that I meet literally just like I, I get a lot of adoration. And so um, I think that also that was – it was just like, oh, okay. Once I found that like deeper recovery and could detach from other people, places, and things, like you were saying, Julie, it's like, oh, I'm just with myself now. And like, look, I'm the one that thinks I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, I was like given that message and I saw it physically, like through how my parents treated themselves, how my siblings treated themselves. That was the message, like, this is what we do. Okay. Like, check me out. I'm treating myself like shit. Okay. This is what's up. This is how we do it. Uh, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll do that. And then it just doesn't. Either, either like hit a bottom and move move into a different place, I think, or you know, you die from it, just like you die from alcoholism. It'll mm-hmm. kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. For me, with like detachment in my last relationship, even the relationship after my marriage, I wouldn't make a list of the things that I wanted in another person, which I was being encouraged to do mm-hmm. because I knew he wouldn't mm-hmm. have the things on the list. Mm-hmm. And we, the yeah. day we broke up, I wrote the list. And I'm dating someone who actually checks everything on the list. I'm in this great relationship. So, mm-hmm. but I will tell you the reason why I asked that question of you is I can see it now. I can feel it now. And this is my, you know, my weakness in Al Anon. Mm-hmm. There's been nothing but evidence that it gets better, that you get what you what you need. I mean, not mm-hmm. what you want, mm-hmm. but to an extent and yeah. so on. And I will still say there's probably some, you know, and I had this great relationship and then my work, my work had a situation and I, still believed that I probably would never get the work situation that I wanted. You know, even mm. after eight years in the program, when the mm. things fall out, you know, I still have this instinct to go to the place where I think there mm-hmm. won't be any more. There just won't be any more. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the bravery of that for me, for you to, to take that step is really inspiring. Um, I also think what's really interesting about this relationship with attachment is I went into this relationship after some tumultuous dating, uh, which Claire heard a little bit about. Um, it was oh, fun. just a little. It was fun. Sorry. Um, yeah. But I Snippets. went into this relationship and I remember like on one of our earlier dates, I asked him what he wanted and he's like, I want to be seen. Like that was one of his primary mm-hmm. things that he wanted. And I somehow in the course of this conversation, I told him, I was like, I know for a fact now that that I will never um, 
put anyone else before myself. Like I was kind of telling him that that's just not going to be possible mm. again. And it's this mm. very weird detachment where I really, really love this person. Like I want to spend the rest of my life mm. with this person. If they leave or die, I will be okay eventually. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, and it doesn't feel romantic and it doesn't feel, mm. there's something unromantic feeling about it. It's not true, but it feels unromantic. But it, it really the reality is like, I am me first and my relationship with my higher power mm-hmm. first. And then I share mm-hmm. myself with other people. And yeah. I think we have this, you know, there's romanticism in our culture that we would die for someone or die without someone. And then I think that's, com- you know, compounded a million fold in alcoholic homes. Yes. But yeah. no, I mean, it would be devastating, but I would recover. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just know there's nothing I can't recover from. And that's Al-Anon. So it's interesting to watch someone just go through it, you know, and do it so gracefully. Yes. Well, I think that's so much. I was talking to my sponsor the other day about like the, like, I, I think I've, I've spent so much energy, like trying to, uh, prevent bad things that were, uh, unpreventable and like that all of my energy was going towards things that I thought I could control, but couldn't. And so therefore I was sort of moving through life thinking that like, if I did X or Y, it's going to impact the next bad thing that happens to me or doesn't happen to me. And I don't really believe that anymore. Right. Like I believe that like life is just hard in some ways and life is joyful in all these other ways. Mm. And I can do my part and I can show up and then like the rest is not up to me. And that's such a different way of like, I don't know. It's such a different way of moving through the world, you know, like my brain gets really crazy where I'm like, if I think I, I can start working myself to self, working myself up to think that some person is going to solve my, all my problems or some experience is going to solve mm. all my problems. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's going to, or, or some version of myself is going to keep myself safe and I'll be impenetrable, you know, cause a lot of my <laughs> Alamon stuff I think has to do with into like intimacy issues at the end of the day. Um, and I, yeah, I think, so I think right now, having detached with love, continually detaching with love. It's like a my experience right now is really trying to trust the good that I'm experiencing and to like trust the serenity that I'm feeling and to not kind of close up and clench up because I'm scared because I am still scared and I'm really scared of repeating and I'm really scared of like, sure. you know, I still have a little bit of my brain that's like, if you can spot it before you can, you know, and I think there's a version of that that's programmed. That's like, now I have an awareness of what I don't want and I can respond to that awareness, but it's not be vigilant every day and look for all the signs and spot them. And then, you know, it's like not that version of it. Um, well, and it's progress, yeah. not perfection too, right? Always. I mean, yes. Yes. I mean, I went through like, a full like two year relationship and also like some other dating weird, not weird, whatever, just some other dating things, uh, before I like progressed enough to pick someone that was available in Mm. some ways. I mean, you know, like also (laughs) we've been together like four and a half years and it's like, we've worked really fucking hard for it. Like in the best way, like it works if you work it. I don't mm. mean like life has to be work, but I do believe mm-hmm. that it works if you work it 
uh, and like we work it, like we work it, you know, like we get on those spin cycle bikes and we work it. If the spin cycle bike was a metaphor for our relationship that we were really cycling hard over those hills. And then you come out like, you know, down on the other side of that hill and you're like, yeah, like this is what we were going up that hill for. Um, but it's not perfect. It's not, but, but it's, you know, but I'm with someone that like has the things on the list, the must haves on the list. Mm -hmm. They have the must haves Mm -hmm. and I, and I'm available. I also don't think I was available before because I was so attached, right? Like, I don't think we receive, I mean, and and this comes from program for me. It's not just like a belief, but it, it, a belief that's formed out of program is like, I'm not going to receive things I'm not available for Mm -hmm. because I can't receive them. Like my higher power's only job for me is to give me things. And my only job is to receive those things, which sounds super selfish, but it's not. That's just how that relationship works. And it's like what's super selfish is for me to like be attached to outcomes, to be attached to, well, that's it, outcomes, right? That, that's it. That's everything. Anything a, a person, place, or thing I think is supposed to be in a certain way is being attached to an expectation or an outcome. So I can just mm-hmm. get rid of that. Everything's great. (laughs) And just receive the things, be available to receive the things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you want to, we usually do a reading at the end of these things. And I was thinking, or we were thinking that uh, we would read detachment. And so maybe Claire (gasps) would, would read that for us. It'd be my pleasure to be of service in that way. <laughs> we can hear what the the literature says about all the things we just talked about. I love it. Wait. Yeah, just so that people know, you know. I mean, I didn't write it, you know. Uh, okay, this is from the detachment pamphlet that you can get. I think it's available um, on yeah. the. World Service site or whatever you can Yeah, there's like a bookmark or ask your local um, literature person. Yeah, the peeps know where to get you this detachment pamphlet if you're interested. It's usually like a buck or buck fifty or something. Detachment is neither kind nor unkind. It does not imply judgment or condemnation of the person or situation from which we are detaching. Separating ourselves from the adverse effects of another person's alcoholism can be a means of detaching. This does not necessarily require physical separation. Detachment can help us look at our situations realistically and objectively. Alcoholism is a family disease. Living with the effects of someone else's drinking is too devastating for most of us to bear without help. In Alamo, we can learn nothing we say or do can cause or stop someone else's drinking. We're not responsible for another person's disease or recovery from it. Detachment allows us to let go of our obsession with another's behavior and begin to lead happier and more manageable lives, lives with dignity and rights, lives guided by a power greater than ourselves. We can still love the person without liking the behavior. In Al-Anon, we learn not to suffer because of the actions or reactions of other people not to allow ourselves to be used or abused by others in the interest of another's recovery, not to do for others what they can do for themselves. 
not to manipulate situations so others will eat, go to bed, get up, pay bills, not drink or behave as we see fit, not to cover up for another's mistakes or misdeeds, not to create a crisis and not to prevent a crisis if it's in the natural course of events. By learning to focus on ourselves, our attitudes and well-being improve. We allow the alcoholics in our lives to experience the consequences of their own actions. And then it says, Al-Anon can help. Al-Anon is a worldwide fellowship that offers a program of recovery for the families and friends of alcoholics, whether or not the alcoholic recognizes the existence of drinking problem or seeks help. Members give and receive comfort and understanding through mutual exchange of experience, strength, and hope, sharing of similar problems, binds individuals and groups together in a bond that is protected by a tradition of anonymity. Al-Anon is not a religious organization or counseling agency. It's not a treatment center, nor is it allied with any other organization offering such services. Al-Anon family groups, which include Alateen for young members, usually teenagers, neither expresses opinions on outside issues nor endorses outside enterprises. No dues or fees are required. Membership is voluntary, requiring only that one's own life has been adversely affected by someone else's drinking problem. Boom. Detachment. Do you feel, do either of you feel more um, detached, separate as one's own self? I mean, I I know I do every time I hear that. I think of all the pieces of literature, that one for me in program in these last years or in all these years and particularly the first two lines it's neither kind nor unkind i mean the way it opens oh, yes. of all the pieces of literature yeah it opens right to the fucking point because <laughs> the entire reason that i feel i can't do x y or z is because i will hurt someone's feelings mm-hmm. or i'll be seen as cold or this or that i mean there's so much in that and it's like oh wow it's not it has nothing to do with kindness yes and then immediately following it it does not imply judgment, judgment or condemnation yep. yeah. of the person yeah. or situation yeah. for yeah. which you're de- you're detaching from. It's just like, yo, detachment isn't good or bad in any way, shape, or form. It has nothing to do with any of those things. And I think I really relate to what you said, Corey. It's like for a long time I thought that detachment meant that I didn't love them. If I was mm-hmm. detached, it must mean I don't fucking mm-hmm. care. But that's also what the alcoholic told me. Mm-hmm. So... Of course I thought that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I thought, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I thought that you could detach sort of at someone, you know, that it was another <laughs> method of, you know, being like, I'm not going to mm. come get you tonight. You know, I'm not going mm. to do this thing. It was always charged mm. in this way. I had not, I was, I had not detached from the outcome. In fact, I had invested in it. And I was acting yeah. uh, in order to, yeah, to to exert that control. Um, yeah, I just thought of another another story that helped me detach. Um, Let's end with we, it. Let's yeah? do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Bring yeah. us on home, Julia. Just, I was going to take <laughs> us away, but that, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of really separating out, separating out, like what is my cause, what's my effect, like neither kind nor unkind, you know, just like. Uh, it makes me think of this time in my relationship with my ex-boyfriend where 
I was up for this job and this job was going to uh, move me to like Budapest, Abu Dhabi and a city in Jordan for like a year. And it, I had got, I'd gotten the job and I was so excited about it, but I was also racked with all this anxiety because I really believed that if I took it, that he would relapse it with me gone and he would be, mm-hmm. he would do badly and it would be my fault. I wouldn't be there to prevent it from happening. And I remember talking about that with my sponsor at the time and really being in this, you know, not allowing myself just to be in the excitement of this good thing to have it have to be that because it could be bad for him, that it was going to be bad for me too. And, um, and then, uh, he, I didn't get the job in the end. It was like, a they had to hire, they, they put in the approval for it. They had to hire someone locally. The job falls through. I was really disappointed, but <laughs> here I am still in LA and my ex-boyfriend relapsed anyway. Mm. And, <laughs> it is funny now it is it is it's just a really clear a really clear moment where i was like of course bitch it's not about you at all you know like, yes, you, yes. you you it's not it's not about you and um i think that moments like that that really you know that felt hard but were actually gifts to me in retrospect because it could it allowed me to detach um and really understand what my own power was and, and lack of power, uh, my powerlessness. Uh, mm, mm. So I think, you know, a lot of those small experiences, praying for clarity, being able to see it more and stay in that awareness, I think has allowed me to detach with love in this bigger, scarier way that I am doing now. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations on all of that. We're so proud of you. The story was so perfect. I love that perfect story. ending story. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, yep. yes. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do. Yep. It's not our business. Yeah, you didn't cause it. Didn't you can't cause control it. it. Can't control it. You can't cure it. Can't cure no. it. No, no, no it's baby. not. It has nothing to do with us. It's literally like, ugh, so not about us. It's it's so funny how like, <laughs> I just think of like. I mean, I'm still a huge ego. I still have a big ego, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, it's like the ego self that existed before program is just like, whoa. My sponsor, I remember when we first started, when I first started seeing my sponsor, I would go sit on the carpet in his living room. And I would be like, is it okay if I sit on the floor? And he's like, honey, however you need to do this is it's fine. And I was just like, okay. And then I'd be talking about a thing and he'd be like, you know, we just get to remember, like, it's not about us. And be like, and that we didn't do it. You know, did you make the sunrise today? I didn't make the sunrise today. And I would just be like, <laughs> fuck, I didn't make the sun fucking rise today. You know, like, I just, I don't, none of it's about me. It's not. It's about you, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> So, keep coming back. Yeah, Julia, thank you so much. Julia, so good to hear you today. And uh, I want us to all say keep coming back together. Let's do it. I want to time it today. All right. right. Three, two, one. Keep Keep coming coming back. back. It It works works if you work it. it. And you're worth it. And you're worth it. (laughs) 
I think I messed it up. It's been that long. I'm really detached. Yeah. I'm but so I'm detached, detached from that, from that outcome. outcome. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Claire and Corey. Original music by Austin Bunn. Original crosstalk logo by Jonathan Grant. Special thanks to our awesome editor, Joe. And thanks to all of our listeners. Keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs>